It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. Uh, I am your host, K.P. Burke. Uh, with me as always, my handsome delf of a father. <laughs> Larry Burke is here. How are you, we sir? we got to find a different intro than that. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're here. Thank you much. But uh, it's all good. I have had people ask me what a DILF is. And I said, uh, if you don't know, then you don't know. That's right. But leave it there. But uh, also behind the ones and twos here, because we are at a shared universe studio. Uh, Mike and Ming taking great care of us at always. And behind the soundboards is the only guy we want doing this. Our big kahuna is back in the building. How are you, bud? Good, there man. He How is. are you? I've missed you since the whole hour it's been since we recorded the <laughs> last episode. With the, uh, the holiday schedules getting a little weird here for us and uh also speaking of holidays the last holiday we all celebrated together as a team guys was halloween and we talked about the possession of elizabeth knapp who was in the building for us on that one that is joining us here again one of my favorite comedians one of my favorite people miss jackie byrne in the building hi everybody thanks for having me back i'm very excited of course you were very very you were one of our most popular guests um and then a lot of men in turkey wanted to know how much money they could purchase (laughs) (laughs) How much for the women? <laughs> I am so flattered. Thank you. And I, you're you're not a crazy person, okay? That um, we know of. Yeah, I'm mean, willing to keep that on the DL. You're one of the nicest people I know, Jackie. Well, thank and you. One of the things that I love about you, though, is I love you are so nice that when you throw a little shade, up, it, <laughs> what do you mean? It stings hard. <laughs> and I your don't judgments, your, way. <laughs> your judgments of Miss Elizabeth Knapp were very funny to me, and we enjoyed oh, that. It was thanks. one of our better episodes. Uh, so this week, we're going to talk about another crazy bitch. Right? <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I'm here to talk about the crazy bitches. Well, uh, this one's interesting. I know we told uh, you guys uh, what the topic is about here. I know Kahuna knows a little something about this one. So we're going to see if we can separate the uh, the myth from uh, you know the reality on this a little bit here, Dad. But uh, now, located at 525 South Winchester Boulevard in San Jose, California, there is a gorgeous, sprawling mansion. The mansion is a Queen Anne-style Victorian home, but it is unlike anything most people have ever seen. Nope. The uh, initial and continued construction of this house lasted from 1884 to 1922. Lawrence Patrick, you worked as a carpenter for majority. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty long uh, job. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we call milking it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's a good gig. That's a good gig. That's talk about job security. Um, just you know, 1884 to 1922. Uh, Got to get it right. That's right. So post Civil War and then into uh, essentially the Roaring Twenties, you could be working the entire time. It doesn't they, even take that long to build skyscrapers. Like, might as well have been a union job, right? Exactly. <laughs> now the uh, that construction ended in 1922. That got me good. It was a seven-story palace that contains some odd things like staircases that lead to nowhere, uh, doors that open to nothing, secret vaults, windows that overlook other rooms in the house, and stairs with oddly-sized risers, which um, I don't really think that's spooky. It's more of just like a, you know. A screw-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not Some so much. mistake here. They said she was 4'10 and had like um, 
like brittle bones and shit. So there's like she couldn't lift her feet up. Real stairs, right? like they were like a ramp for that sweet little. But could you just imagine if you were an obsessive compulsive person and you noticed that one of the risers on your stair was oddly sized, just oh, just slightly off a little bit, so <laughs> room, tear it down, start over. Absolutely. Um, but there was many other uh, different architectural types that were on display on both the interior and the exterior of this building. Uh, I got numbers for you, Jay Byrne. You're a homeowner now, right? Yes, I am. Okay. You don't have to say where you live because I don't want those Turkish people to find <laughs> But uh, this house, uh, I'm going to assume if it was on Zillow, uh, we would be looking at this and saying that this house at 525 South Winchester Boulevard in San Jose, California has 161 rooms, two ballrooms. 40 bedrooms, 10,000 panes of glass, 17 chimneys, two basements, and not one, two, but three elevators. Beautiful. All right? Not a bad thing right there. No. I wonder what the resale value on that would be, especially in a, a Bergen County market. This is a little yeah. estimate, yeah. Um, the house, uh, like I was saying, it contains uh, gold and silver chandeliers, ornate flooring, and meticulously intricate artwork including several stained glass windows made personally by, you want to guess, Jack? I have no idea. The Tiffany Company. Is that true? Indeed. Oh, I'm into Tiffany it. Glass. They made it specifically for the occupant of this mansion. Now, the mansion is decorated and designed and built to the specifications of its primary inhabitant, one of the wealthiest women in the world, with one of the most famous last names of all time. You guys know who we're talking about? Well, spill it. Winchester. Winchester. So Miss Sarah Winchester, uh, this is her personal home, this mansion. She was the heiress to the Winchester fortune of Winchester rifles. All right? So that's about when her husband passed away, she became the sole inhabitant of uh, well, her half of the company, which was uh, $20 million, which adjusted for inflation. It's about $521 million. Or a cool half billion Ooh. dollars. Yeah. No, she's a rich bitch. She hit the lottery. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, uh, the Powerball and uh, yeah, that's all, not even Kardashian money. All you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's the yeah. real deal. You're right, man. I wish this was a union job. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, not for nothing, too. They said that her estimated daily allowance for spending was a thousand dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Back she, then? She, back then? Yeah, no, she killed it. She could spend a thousand dollars a day back then, which I believe was—I uh, mean, if you accelerate that for inflation, I can't even imagine what it is. Yeah, that's like a uh, thousand. That's probably more like twenty-five hundred. She ain't eating pizza in between episodes right. of the podcast. <laughs> right. Put it that way. You There's know, not, I not too many uh, ramen noodle dinners. Definitely uh, not. They actually just. Uh, they is as recently as 2016 just found another room. I read that too. Is that bananas? Which like, is mind blowing. Yeah. That, that had, get this, a giant pump organ. So they had the Phantom of the Opera living up in there, just chilling in the Winchester mansion. Uh, one of the vaults, actually, they uh, thought was going to house some treasure in the house. It actually was. Uh, it contained. Uh, hair from her child yeah that, that was kept. sad yeah. so, but uh, she's a wacky character we gotta unpack who she is here real quick uh, the mansion is the personal home of Miss Sarah Lockwood Winchester the heiress to the Winchester fortune dad uh, what is a Winchester and why is it worth all that damn money uh, Winchester is a, is a I mean, most people think of the Winchester as being a rifle it was a repeating firearm which is uh, it came went on to become known as the the gun that won the West type of a thing. It was a, as I say, a rifle and uh, a, a game changer as far as uh, firearm production was concerned. That it became immensely popular. Uh, often pictured in a lot of the old West uh, things. It was uh, believed that 
in one of our previous episodes with uh, General George Armstrong Custer that not he didn't have Winchesters, but the uh, Native Americans did. So uh, it was it was definitely a game changer in uh, in firearms. This is like the iPhone of its time, essentially, right? <laughs> is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say even above and beyond. Be, that, if you could yeah. use your iPhone to kill somebody, you'd at least try, right? right? I mean, there's got to be an app for that, I believe. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, somewhere, some somebody's uh, looking for that. Well, like you said, this is the famous Winchester rifle that won the West. It is world-renowned and uh, highly regarded. The rifle is made by the Winchester Repeating Arms Company out of New Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the company is founded in 1886, 152 years ago, by Oliver Winchester, a clothing manufacturer. Jackie Byrne, uh, what, is, what is the store that your husband does not allow you to take the credit card into, clothing-wise? Oh, he doesn't. He can't control me. <laughs> Were you like an Abercrombie and Fitch kind of a girl, or? Um, I think there was a time. Well, you know, Summer Girls. You know how I feel about that song. So yeah, when that's when LFO came out with that song, we all had Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, but no, I'm a Nordstrom girl right now. Nordstrom girl. I respect Nordstrom. Yeah. Well, that's pretty high end. Now uh, imagine uh, if Nordstrom uh, all of a sudden started manufacturing weapons. That's yeah. essentially the jump that Mr. Winchester is making from being a clothing manufacturer in New York City to now being a venture capitalist who dips a lot of his money into literally selling guns. Yeah. So. Yeah, he was pretty much a shirt manufacturer. There was, you know, wasn't a whole line of stuff, but uh, yeah, he was in New York City making uh, making shirts. Just imagine you open up the LL Bean catalog and it's uh, it's Uggs and then a couple of pajama pants and then a repeating rifle with a breech load. There you go. That's natural. That's <laughs> yeah, a natural progression. Do we know why he made the switch to making? Yeah, to make money. He was. Uh, <laughs> Very true. Rather than make make shirts, let's make some money. It's dead on there, actually. It's the uh, nailed it. Right now the, there. the true start of the Winchester legacy, because that is a great question, Jack. Um, the Winchester legacy goes back to Norwich, Connecticut, and uh, pay attention for some famous names to get dropped in here. Um, Norwich, Connecticut. There's a partnership between two fellas. We're talking about the gun business, right? Yeah, two gunsmiths. Two fellas by the name of Horace Smith and Daniel Wesson. Smith and Wesson. Yeah, that. That's Smith & Wesson. Yep. It's uh, the Smith & Wesson that uh, Clint Eastwood would later use to clean up the crime-ridden streets of San Francisco. But uh, these two guys, uh, they are have a partnership that they formed because they're two quality gunsmiths, engineers, I mean, brilliant guys for the time. Uh, they would go on to start two companies, one of them later becoming the famous Smith & Wesson brand that we kind of still associate with uh, Dirty Harry and kicking Ass and all that other stuff. Uh, the other became what was known as the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company. The uh, two partners were able to get access to a patent for a repeating lever-action rifle that Smith was able to make several improvements on. The original design for this rifle, because the idea of – I'm going to throw to you here in a second, LP. But uh, the idea of a repeating rifle was very valuable at the time because uh, before that we were doing like muskets and shit like that. Single shot. So single shot and then you got to stop, reload. I mean it's very – you know, this was the first time you could just go – all of a sudden, you got another round. We're back. Uh, they would say that a good uh, militiaman in the American Revolution, I believe, could fire off, uh, uh, I want to say it was three shots in a minute. What's the time frame for that? Three shots in a Now, this guy, you can empty you know, probably 300 in a minute if you had infinite ammo and in the barrel right. didn't overheat. So why is this repeating arms thing, why is the lever action thing desirable enough that Smith & Wesson are going to acquire a failed patent because they think they're the guys that can make it work? Mm-hmm. You know, they went in two different directions. I mean, Smith & Wesson, they really kind of split the, the company that they were going to go with the volcanic um, the volcanic rifle. And then Smith & Wesson were going to continue to con- to uh, 
target more the uh, well. I didn't mean to target. That's that's a bad. That's a bad one. <laughs> pun intended. But, yeah, pun intended. But uh, they're going to stay more with the revolver kind of a thing, and they they went on to become really really good at, at revolvers. But the uh, the rifle had some problems. Now, these were not the first attempts at making uh, multi shot rifles, as as you said, Kev. That uh, you know a single shot musket. Yeah, a really good guy could probably get off three shots in a minute. Um, but they were not. I always a, fuck up the order on that stuff. Like you'd get complacent, you know that you got to put the 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 ball, then the powder, then the you know the paper. And yeah, too much work. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And if you're dealing with the. You have to take the the gun down off your shoulder, put it on, put the butt to the ground. Uh, you know, clean the thing out, um, drop the powder in there, drop the ball, the patch, all that stuff. Put a little bit, uh, either a percussion cap or a, a flintlock musket into the, oh, into the firing pan. It's, it's yeah, really many, 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 many steps. Um, but actually, um, uh, the first lever-action rifle was not by Smith & Wesson. Uh, that happened uh, years earlier. Um, there was probably the first lever-action rifle that we could really point to was developed by a guy by the name of Colt. Uh, he had a, a Colt first and second model Colt, which was a, a ring lever rifle. So rather than bringing the lever forward, there was a little ring in front of that that you would pull on this ring, which would uh, it eject the cartridge and bring a new cartridge up into yeah, the gun. if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Yeah, you should have put a ring on it, absolutely. Well um, Mr. Colt, and a little a malt way, beverage but, guy? Yeah, this guy <laughs> <laughs> Colt malt liquor? No. Uh, I met him in college. Did you? Yeah. Had, a, had a few uh, run-ins with him, did you? <laughs> perhaps. Okay, perhaps. All right. Um, a little shout-out to New Jersey here, though, because uh, the the Colt uh, lever, ring lever action rifle um, – was actually produced in our own uh, Patterson, New Jersey. Oh, what a shock! By the Patton Arms Manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, better ways of killing people uh, still, still continue. But you know anybody uh, who was uh, you know anybody who was born in Patterson, Lawrence Patrick? Uh, well, we really try to hide that fact, but uh, yeah, there was a guy that came out of came out of Patterson, New Jersey, by the name of K.P. Burke, but. Uh, that was a special delivery. Uh, St. Joe's Hospital. So. There you go, gangster. But, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so now they've got uh, that is my street cred. Uh, we was stayed. That your screen name back in the day, <laughs> yeah. Gangsta KP Two Hundred One P Town. Uh, it was P-town. KP in the zip code of Patterson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, so now one of the one of the difficulties though with that first cult um, that was a, a a cap and a ball type thing. So it was just a slight modification from the old single shot muzzle loader kind of a thing because you were still dealing with a lot of multiple steps and uh, a paper cartridge uh, was easily jammed. They had some difficulties with it. but So it's not necessarily the design of the rifle. Sometimes it's the cartridge going in it. Absolutely. So it's Absolutely. Like you can have a great car, but if you got shitty gas in it, right. you know, <laughs> there not you go. much for you. Right. So they've got this volcanic repeating arms company here. And stop me when you got other stuff to jump in with because right. uh, I know we did, we did some fun research on this one. Oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's very weird too, because in the research for American Loser, um, yeah, we're see, you know, pretty much searching all sorts of stuff that if Google was to see it, we should probably put on an FBI watch list. <laughs> <laughs> guys are searching out guns. Not to say then we aren't already, but yeah. <laughs> now is this one of those episodes of American Losers where it's the object of the rifle we're trying to prove is the loser, or is this a person? Man, oh, stand buddy. by, oh, stand by. Kahuna. So many, uh, so many different alleys Buckle we're about up, to go baby. down. <laughs> Oh, um, man. Like we said, the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company now, 
the two partners are able to make uh, these improvements onto the rifle. Uh, but in order to manufacture their new designs on this rifle and their patented volcanic lever action, which is literally, like we said, just a and now you got another round in the chamber. That whole 90-second process of having to take the musket out and replace by literally just going. Ch-ch-ch. So now in 1885, uh, they formed the Volcanic Repeatings Arm Co- uh, Repeating Arms Company. Yeah, we're still with Smith & Wesson here at this point. Yes. Right. And the largest stockholder in this first Smith & Wesson company is the clothing manufacturer from New York City, the aforementioned Oliver Winchester. All right. Now, Winchester, like we said, is a venture capitalist. Uh, which means that he takes over failing companies, and uh, he's like, I believe that he believed in this product, and he uh, he took it on, and you could tell it was a passion project for him because he wasn't making good money on it at first, but he stayed through with it. And uh, the repeating rifle, the problem they were having, why they were getting so little returns on people buying it, was because the rifle was uh, prone to malfunction, uh, making it far less uh, reliable than the muskets and pistols that were used during that day. A lot of them didn't like to. Uh, uh, like the people in the military, they didn't want to get on board with that because uh, this new technology, oh, what happens if it doesn't work, you know? Like, do you remember when Bluetooth happened? Everybody was like, this is the most annoying thing ever. No one's mm-hmm. ever going to use this. Oh, oh, you must be really important because you have a headset on your cell phone. <laughs> oh, so important. And now everybody has, Blu- has Bluetooth. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, my father just bought a brand new pickup truck. L- literally, they have just designed things like, hey, um, all right, so your phone can tell you that someone's trying to call you. Your computer can tell you someone's trying to call you. Your TV can tell you who's calling you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to find a way to get your F-150 to tell you that fucking some douchebag's trying to get a hold Seriously. of you <laughs> in a group chat. And can't you answer it like by voice too now, yeah. I think? It's like something yes. ridiculous. Answer yeah. call. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you answer call, text back, whatever. Unbelievable. But the thing is you make improvements onto these things slowly but surely, right? So right. Uh, now Winchester had inherited during his takeover of the company. Uh, another famous name here that uh, some people will have heard of. Well, you, I don't know if you want to say inherited, but one of the part of the package, yeah, was uh, some of the employees that were that were there. He one didn't the, really uh, inherit this guy, but one of the uh, back in those times, I think you could inherit people. <laughs> right. um, well, this uh, gentleman was a brilliant gunsmith and engineer by the name of Benjamin Tyler Henry. Uh, Henry Rifles. If anybody knows what they're talking about with that stuff. Henry was able to make changes to the design and to the cartridges, more specifically the cartridges, for that repeating rifle, making his model the first ever reliable repeating rifle, quote, the Henry rifle. Right. And uh, Henry, uh, Benjamin Henry, he he was a brilliant guy, and it was by his improvements on the cartridge, on the bullet, if you will, that really uh, set this whole thing apart with the Henry rifle, that now you had a reliable way of bringing the next cartridge into the chamber and to eject the old cartridge. So um, some of the difficulties that they had with the volcanic uh, rifle are now over overcome by changing the cartridge rather than going with uh, what they were using in the old, old volcanic uh, action. Now, uh, normally, I would, because, you know, there'd be people that only like gun fanatics would be familiar with a lot of the stuff we're talking about here, but there's an entire new generation that is obsessed with this stuff because of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> so that's the cowboy uh, game on Xbox and PS3. Oh. I played the uh, the the first one, Red Dead Redemption. I loved it. Red Dead Two came out, but that's when you so ad- when you advance, see Kahuna's uh, is our fucking millennial. See, we got him on board. <laughs> getting to learn about history and shit. Leave me but. alone, okay? Like it's a dope game. It Continue. Is a great, it's a great game. <laughs> but my favorite thing about it is that the more money you get in that game, the nicer guns you're able to buy. So, and one of the guns, the first upgrades that you get in the first one is you do get a volcanic pistol. 
which is the lever action kind of pistol thing. Okay, right, right. right. So. To be fair, that's accurate to life. You get more money, you get oh, better yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it, I do like the the hierarchy that they um, that they rank the guns on here. With that, I didn't mean to interrupt JLP. Get back to it. No, I was just that, that's pretty much it. Henry was able to develop this new cartridge, and then he releases like in 1860 um, this new. Uh, uh, this new rifle that is now being manufactured or renamed um, by Winchester Repeating Arms Company. So and they changed the name of the company. So they changed it's not the Smith name. Smith and Wesson, and then it goes to Volcanic. Right. Now it's the, right. uh, the Winchester company. Because uh, Ollie Winchester you know, bought them out, bought out that part of Smith and Wesson mm-hmm. out. That, all right, I'll take on the uh, repeating rifle aspect of it. You guys can go on your way with your revolvers, and I'm going to take the, the rifle aspect on your way. And then. Uh, you know, um, Benjamin Henry was part of the rifle. Actually, he was plant manager for the rifle production, and he upped the cartridge to a forty-four caliber, where the old volcanic rifle was of a lesser caliber. So now, well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a forty-four caliber that'd blow your head clean off. <laughs> yeah. Now, did I fire seven or did I fire six? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but he went ahead and made that change and everything. But uh, it's important now because Winchester is now uh, – it's kind of cool for me because uh, if you're into guns at all uh, or hunting or shooting – like I grew up shooting with uh, you and my Uncle Paul and everything um, and the scouts. And so uh, Smith & Wesson, Browning, uh, Henry, uh, Colt, Winchester. These are all brand names. But they're also people that were probably at one time or another in a room together. <laughs> That's kind of a crazy thing to think about. But – little Game of Thrones action that I didn't even know about. But um, Now, uh, in 1866, the first Winchester rifle, the Model 1866. Oh, uh, that's yep, a <laughs> that. right there. Well, the gun had a nickname. This famous rifle had a nickname. Now, uh, Jackie Byrne, uh, it, what is it? What constitutes a cute nickname for something? Oh, I don't know. Something that's like fun, short, usually. Like, uh, you, say you were going to nickname a boat. That somebody was going to buy. <laughs> Jackie O. Yes, that's Big Kahuna. <laughs> Don't give away my Jack, uh, I won't give it away. Jackie's got one of my favorite jokes on the topic. <laughs> for a, a good nickname for a boat or how to name well, a ship, my I name, say. My name is a nickname. I go by Jackie, but I'm Jacqueline. That's true. It's got to be fun. It's got to be snappy. Well, it's, uh, what the, this one's pretty snappy. Then you tell me, grade me, uh, grade me on a thumbs up, thumbs down scale Let's here. The Model 1866, that rifle was nicknamed Yellow Boy. I'm into it. You're into it? Yeah, why not? Not fair. Why the nickname? I know, that's my they next never, question. They uh, never it was a, there was some more brass and stuff uh, on, on the thing that uh, had kind of a yellowish glow to the thing. So It's, a, it's almost a show. copper nonsense to oh, it. Oh, okay. But, uh, oh, br- I said brass. Yeah, copper, that kind of thing. Whatever. Yellow no, uh, brass was made. The, the, the gun was very diverse in how it could be made, which attracted more people. So it's almost like you can have the world's best uh, razor for shaving your face. But uh, if you have one with a Batman logo on it, it's going to sell even more. There you, you know go. I mean? It's so, the first blank is what I'm hearing, right. right? Seriously. You were judged by what kind of a gun you had. That was a thing, man. Really? Yeah. It's a, Pack and heat. It's See? A, right. That's where it starts. <laughs> right. See? You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> the, the, the old Henry back from 1860 with the Henry rifle, that gained some notoriety, too, because, you know, 1860, now we're leading into the, the American Civil War, mm-hmm. so that... Uh, you know, if I could take a, a weapon that's going to fire 15 or 16 rounds into, into battle versus uh, my single shot, you know, muzzle loading uh, rifle, wh- what would you rather have? I mean, sure. but it was expensive. 
And the Army never really purchased a whole lot of those, but there were a number of units that purchased the Henry rifles on their own. As a matter of fact, there was a, um, a, 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 a quote from one of the Confederates that went up against a, a Yankee unit, a Union unit, unit. That's easy for me to say, a Union <laughs> unit that was armed with these uh, old Henrys. That uh, yeah, it's that that damn Yankee rifle that can be loaded on Sunday and fired all week. So you know they had to stop to reload. That's you can just crazy. keep keep firing. That's it was attributed that one guy with a Henry re- repeating rifle, it would be equal to like fifteen regular infantrymen with a, a single shot rifle. So you know your firepower is greatly multiplied. Oh, it's through the roof. I mean, this was revolutionary for the time too, because like we said in the Civil War, they are still marching around with. Uh, these are kids that probably grew up shooting their uh, father's brown bess, the uh, the famous English musket. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are squirrel hunting kids going after. You got to make the one shot count, otherwise you're going hungry that night. Now all of a sudden you're like, oh well, you got 18 or 19 shots now. Right. So, but uh, it was very interesting here. The Civil War uh, did see some usage, like you were saying, but uh, it was largely mocked as a new technology. That uh, there was a stigma that uh, it wasn't going to be as reliable as the old muskets. Um, the anyway. ninety second reload muskets, uh, pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. Winchester, oddly, uh, so it wasn't it wasn't a huge. They were popular, but they became very popular with civilians uh, who were buying them because the guns were less clunky, provided more ammunition, were easy to use, and aided in home protection and asset protection. Mm. So the pioneers moving out west now, you'd have this big clunky rifle that you can't really do, or you can have it on the front of your wagon draped across your uh, lap with you know seven or nine shots ready to roll. Right. You can defend yourself. Maybe I'm not the best shot, but at least I'll get, you know, I'll get 12, I'll get 12 yeah. shots at it as opposed to one uh, and then have to reload. So, yeah, yeah, we'll get in touch on that one here. But uh, So now um, the pioneers soon began referring to the rifle. The rifle picked up – when you have a good product, it picks up a reputation. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's like Jackie Burns' business cards for comedy. What does it say on there? <laughs> oh, God, fun, personable, something else. <laughs> and that's her reputation. She's a wonderful person. So, but uh, the point it's here. Great that I know. <laughs> so now the product comes out. The product Cut is the Henry out, rifle, <laughs> and it's a Winchester rifle now too. And so you know you got a good uh, thing going here. It's now known as the gun that won the West. Now, that's a good fucking tagline. Right. So. All right. You want to tap into the mythos of the old West and everything like that. So now the people that uh, – first of all, you're saying the West has been won. All right. So that, that's Number done. Number one. Yeah. Uh, people are going to need the guns while they're out there. But then this is also – these are the guns that you see John Wayne uh, doing the really cool friggin' uh, spin and move where he's reloading the lever action rifle mm-hmm. with one hand. Uh, I mean you're seeing that the, it's almost a gun that's romantic, as ridiculous as that sounds. And all the – all the heroes of the day, if you will, Annie Oakley and Buffalo Bill and mm-hmm. even Teddy Roosevelt all had a, <clears throat> a Winchester rifle to, to deal with. So, It is uh, my favorite part of the Annie Oakley story in that uh, the first man – I'm sorry. She's the first person that ever beat uh, her husband in a uh, shooting contest. Yes, I knew that. And that, that's like how blown away the guy was because he goes, well, I can't, uh, I can't beat you in a shooting contest. I finally met a shooter better than me. Uh, uh, please marry me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What a Western love story. That's right. It, it sure is. That's well, right. I, I am a man who dated a girl he uh, uh, did roast battle against, too. So the first girl to insult <laughs> me publicly in front of everybody, I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure we're going to be together for a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's how broken I am. Uh, but uh, 
Now, uh, Oliver Winchester, who is a very well thought of guy too, you know, for a man who owns a uh, you know a weapons company, and now also very rich guy too, extremely rich. Um, he also decides, like most people who have a lot of money, that you want to be you know build a half a billion dollar house with rooms to nowhere. Well, uh, he's not, <laughs> not the one who yet. built any no, of that. No, not yet. This is this is back. They're still in Connecticut. They haven't. We moved still out got west a couple yet. of steps yet. Oh, so the Winchester house is literally just Mrs. Winchester's thing, uh, and uh, it's uh, not. Not even uh, it's not even Oliver's uh, wife's design because uh, Oliver has uh, he goes on to become the lieutenant governor of Connecticut, uh, but he dies on December eleventh, eighteen eighty eight. Which uh, oh, we just passed that. Yep, it's uh, which is interesting too. It feels appropriate, right? Eighteen eighty. Eighteen eighty. You said eighty eight. Yeah, I'm stuttering. Uh, not for nothing too. I whoever is this asshole calling my cell phone while we're trying to. I'm going to. If you're a debt collector, you're not getting it. All right. <laughs> if you're a comic looking for stage time, I plan on berating you on this podcast. You will be next week's American Loser. So, you need to start doing that too. In, uh, in uh, 1880, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Oliver Winchester passes away. Control the company now passes to his son uh, from Big Kahuna to Little Kahuna here with uh, William, William Winchester, who had served as the treasurer of the company beforehand. Isn't that a great name too? William Winchester. William Winchester. Well, oh, I was like little Kahuna. William Thank you. Oh, little Winchester. Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mini, mini Winnie. <laughs> so it's William Wirt Winchester was the guy's name. So his his initials were literally www. Right. That's yeah. not bad at all here. www.winchester.com. Uh, anyhow, uh, so the company is now in William's control, uh, but William dies of tuberculosis within a year of his father's death. Hmm. And uh, William's death leaves now the vast fortune of this company because the controlling interest in it is uh, taken by uh, what's the matter we got a fashion no, no, letter that's, it. that's good we're good All we're right. still good a um, couple things happened to to uh, to Willie before uh, before he kicks well up. talk to me here because my introductory sentence I kill him off so talk to me oh sorry um, William marries before he dies <laughs> So, I mean, when do you want to bring in uh, Mrs. Does, uh, Winchester? Well, I uh, I was going to unpack that when we talk about Sarah okay, a little right, bit. My bad. Too, so. No, I'll tell you what. You, uh, I'm interrupting the flow here. Go. It's okay, though. It's a, you're not a bill collector from Morristown, New Jersey. Um, like I said, control of the company is now falling down to uh, old Willie, as we're going to call him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he dies of tuberculosis within a year of the appointment, and now the fortune is left to his wife, Miss Sarah Lockwood Pardee Winchester. Okay. That's a have, that's a rough middle name, Lockwood. That's got to be a middle name, right? Because her maiden name was yeah. Pardee. Her maid, yeah. yeah. Her, yeah. Her, I think it was it must have been her mom's maiden name. I, ooh, that's interesting. That's I think what it, they used to do. I, th- I, think. I think it was. Yeah, I'm not certain, but it's a real strong possibility. Can you imagine them trying to get a table at a restaurant growing up? <laughs> Pardee, Pardee, too. <laughs> Pardee, Hardy. Brilliant. I'm here to party. Uh, <laughs> I hear you're, uh, I hear you're a party girl. Is that correct? Yeah. But now they go ahead and they leave the uh, the fortune down to her. Sarah's inheritance, adjusted for inflation by 2018 estimates, is over 500 million dollars. Yep. That's fuck you money, right. right? That's that's literally that's got to be beyond fuck you money. That's got to be uh, you could pay someone enough money to also give them fuck you money. Seriously. Yeah, it, it's not only the money, but she also still has nearly 50% of the stock in Winchester. Yes. Now, she doesn't uh, attempt to really run the company too, too much after that, though, because uh, she's got She some, don't need to. She, well, exactly. She don't need to work. Right. And you're still getting the royalties of at least $1,000 a day for the rest of your life. So That's right. Like eventually when I sell this show to some network – 
I'm not going to have to work anymore. Yeah, right? there you go. We're just going to sit just up. Just remember your father when that when that day yeah. arrives. It, you know, doesn't take much to keep me happy. But <laughs> no, I assure, I assure you, it's a whatever lake, whatever lake house you need. Well, we'll find one for you. Well, you're going to have to have something at the beach too for your mother. Don't don't forget your mother. Don't That's forget a, her. Well, she never comes on the show. That's a, <laughs> She, You're listen, awful. she listens to every episode. I love you, Mom. I'm sorry. She's the best. Back to it. Uh, Sarah's uh, and William, when they worked together, uh, they had a child, all right, and that was years earlier. Uh, the daughter's name was Annie, and Annie died of a rare disease shortly after her birth. It was very tragic, uh, very unsettling. She starved to death. They watched uh, her starve. Because she would waste away. It was uh, That is like the worst thing. I'm yeah. sorry. And uh, it, it was so unsettling because the name of the disease was listed on the Wikipedia page. But when I scrolled over it, the hyperlink would show you a picture of people dying <gasps> of the disease. Absolutely And I couldn't deal with it. And it, that was full-grown people. This is We're talking about a, uh, a less than 40-day-year-old baby, uh, which is uh, so just absolutely I'd never heard brutal. of that disease, though. What was it? It was uh, a disease that you're not able to process the, the nutrition that's coming into your body. And basically, you're just Consumption. watching your child. Your newborn baby starved to death is basically what happens. It's and called being a vegan. The, and, the kid uh, was yeah. only... Uh, the kid was with them for six weeks, and then, you know, finally after that's after six horrible. weeks, the, yeah. the baby died. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Which is br- and that's not so, a pleasant 40 days either. No, and that's got to have a psychological impact on a person. Regardless, I don't care how strong uh, so it's not, you are. So it's not Sarah's fault she went a little batty. Well, there, no. there's some questions as to about how batty she was. Um, now, like we said, her inheritance does have her set up for the rest of her life. Um, but they decided not to have any uh, additional children um, after that, uh, you know, with Annie and everything. And uh, now her father-in-law dies, and then less than a year later, her husband dies. Right. Sarah is now one of the wealthiest women in the entire world, uh, and she's got pretty much nobody to share it with. She's got yeah. her uh, – on her mother's side, she's got some family that's uh, over on the West Coast, so she moves to the Bay Area. Yeah, well, to put a timeline on it, she's married in uh, – Sarah is married in 1862 – um, four years later, her her only child is born. Annie is born in 1866. The kid virtually dies of starvation because uh, little Annie's body just can't process uh, nutrition. Uh, Oliver dies in 1880, and her husband, uh, or excuse me, her father-in-law dies in 1880, and then William dies a year later. Her husband dies a year later. So this lady has. Definitely sees some tragedy in the her hits. Yeah. Just keep on coming, right. but now it's brutal with uh, that stuff, man. There's uh, nothing good going on here now because of that, because of all the tragedies surrounding her, and a couple other weird kind of eccentric uh, qualities of uh, Miss Sarah Lockwood Winchester. Uh, the tabloids start kind of covering her the same way that we would cover uh, celebrities nowadays. Uh, she, there's people want to know. This is the wealthiest woman in town back here in Connecticut. She's Paris Hilton back in the day. Uh, famous for being famous. A recluse. I was talking to uh, somebody about that. It is maybe it's just uh, I don't know what it is, but the word heiress is very sexy to a man. I don't know why we. I mean, I'm to sure anybody. I was gonna say to a woman because yeah. if you could, I can get behind that. Make that your title. I mean, <laughs> the heiress of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an heiress, you got money. If you're a widow, your your husband died. You know, that's, yeah, uh, that's but you it. don't doesn't necessarily mean you had no. money. Well, because I remember where I was. Uh, I I remember breathing heavy uh, the first time that. Uh, <laughs> VA, uh, well, no, it was E. E did like a, a true Hollywood story about the Hilton sisters. And I, that's the first time I ever heard the word heiress. And you're just staring at Nikki and Paris Hilton. You're just like, oh. They were gorgeous, uh, too. 
Still are, huh? Yeah, right? definitely. I agree with that. And if they're listening, I want them to. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, so they go ahead um, and the tabloids are covering her uh, her story a little bit here. And shortly after her husband's death, one of the tabloids prints a story. And this is where that spooky shit's coming in, Cahoons. Um, a tabloid prints a story claiming that a Boston medium, okay, that is uh, a person who is able to uh, channel spirits, if you will, is channeling her dead husband. All right, so Sarah's husband is now mm. speaking to her from beyond the grave via this medium from Boston, which, by the way, can we admit how funny it would be if the dead person had a Boston accent all the time 100%. now? 100%. Oh, my God. Pack the car. <laughs> Don't do but, voices, Kev. No, I can't. <laughs> can't do voices. Don't be Tom Kenny. Just chill. That's Don't a, be the next Mel LeBlanc. Uh, it's, uh, now, they channel her dead husband, and his, uh, he's telling her from beyond the grave supposedly, that she needs to move out west, okay? Needs to move out west and start construction on a house that uh, in order to have the spirits that are haunting him and haunting her from the victims of the Winchester rifles, okay, of which the fortune is literally uh, all they have, um, she needs to build a house and then it needs to never stop being constructed. That as long as there's construction going on, the ghosts aren't going to come find her. That's the story they're printing in the newspaper here. Now, uh, some people uh, support the idea that Sarah did feel haunted by the spirits and that possibly there was some uh, bad karma coming off the fortune with that. But others assert to her that it was just a love of architecture and a need for a change of uh, scenery coming from all the depression shit she was dealing with up in Connecticut. And she did have family out in the Bay Area like we talked about. So it's not like a she just decided to move to some town she never heard of and build a mansion before. She was guided there apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, she did that. And she did love architecture. I mean she was well studied from a lot of the stuff overseas. And now we're going to unpack – because LP, you found some really cool shit here on old Sarah. Yeah, she was a very interesting, well-educated, uh, highly intelligent woman. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, when her husband dies in 1881, she goes off for three years, and there's really not any documentation or evidence as to where exactly she went in Europe. But she was off to Europe um, for three years before she did finally come back to uh, decide to, to go to California and San Jose. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, California. Now, while she's over uh, seas, if you will, uh, she uh, she's kind of getting exposed to some interesting, you know, architecture designs over there. I mean, have you ever been to Europe, Jack? Sure have. Where'd you go? Italy. They got England. Uh, well, England. Yeah. A little different yeah. than Ridgewood, New Jersey. Right? A little bit different. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paramus, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave the wrong town so that uh, the Turkish men would never find. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's okay. All right, just I zeroed. I'm zeroing in on you, Jack. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so happy you know where I live, though. <laughs> but uh, that being said, when you're over there, that is one thing that I people are always uh, taken in by is the architecture. You hear people talk. They, they notice shit that they've never noticed before. So now, old Sarah's overseas. She's seeing some cool shit, isn't she? Mm, absolutely. And a lot of that stuff would come into design in uh, different portions of the Winchester Mystery House, as it would become to know. Um, yeah, the, the Mystery House. I mean, with all these... Uh, possibilities traveling around Europe. Um, she's definitely taken taken some notes of some of the more famous architecture, not just Italy, but France and, and well, England. And, she was and, a smart lady, is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. What smart was uh, lady. her early background? I know you dug up. Some oh, stuff back on in the, back in the day, yeah. She uh, again coming from uh, early on, she was you know considered a, a prodigy. That by the time she was 12, she was already fluent in Latin. French, Spanish, and Italian. 
So I mean, she's right. she's multilingual. So now, as an adult, you're uh, going what over age? twelve. Damn. <laughs> yeah. At yeah. 12, I was barely good at English. <laughs> Still working on it. I was going to say, at 22, you're not much sharper either, bud. Big <laughs> uh, Kahuna thinks he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a, <laughs> I got you. Well done. That was awesome. And a, and a, and a, I, I, learned, I learned me some English. Right. <laughs> I, I got me that book learning. <laughs> Me fail English? That's impossible. Unpo- oh, yeah, impossible. one of the best Simpsons quotes. I'm sorry. Get back into it. Uh, yeah, she was, uh, you know, multilingualistic. Uh, also, an extreme knowledge of the classics like Homer and Shakespeare. Uh, a remarkable talent as a musician. Uh, and she was uh, she was the hot ticket of New Haven, uh, Connecticut. The, she had them smarts. Yeah, she. Uh, well, and, Yo, I think she was a, a hottie with a body too. Nice. She was the hot ticket. That she was a, a good looking woman. She became known as the the belle of New Haven. So she's the belle of the ball. She's the the number one uh, hottie of uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Um, there's several things about. I'd swipe ha- right. Huh? <laughs> uh, Kahuna brought her photo up, and he's mm-hmm. saying that he would swipe right if he found her in a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> um, New Haven is also kind of a, a unique thing to her upbringing, too, because uh, within New Haven, Connecticut, you have uh, Yale University, uh, originally known as uh, Yale College. And there was a lot of people from her family um, who went to Yale. And as a matter of fact, she went to the um, – uh, I don't know how to really put this, but I guess it was more like the the female version of Yale University that uh, she was uh, well schooled, and many of the professors from Yale were also involved with uh, with her schooling as well. Um, Wait, was she pri- she went to this private school, or was it like she actually just was like schooled at home? No, she she actually went to to that school. Um, okay. Very rare young, for the, the times. The young so. ladies. It was the Young Ladies Collegiate Institute. Okay. Um, but it was, it was really kind of an offshoot of uh, Yale University. Uh, and it was also a very strong um, um, f- uh, progressive uh, f- feelings or uh, social kind of activity within that. And a very strong uh, Freemasonic uh, Rosa- Rosicrucian. Rosicrucians, um, thank you. Right, Rosicrucians of the of the Freemasonic Order. Now, uh, the Masons of the Masonic Order is also another secret organization, if you will, that uh, you don't any outsider really doesn't have all the the ins and outs of the of the Freemasons. But uh, many members of the Pardee family were were Freemasons. Ain't no party like a Freemason party. Oh. There you go. There you go. There you go. So she's got um, some weird, uh, some definitely interesting things there. That uh, there's a little bit of that Illuminati New World Order that's thing what I was going on. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Jack, you had notes as well too, so you have to jump yeah. in whenever you think of something. No, no, no. You guys are beautiful. I'm, I'm gonna chime in when, whenever I see fit. But you guys are very yeah. thorough. Jump in, jump in. Jackie's the first guest on this show to ever show up with her own notes. I don't even do notes. Right. <laughs> I went to private school, Kahuna. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay. She would get her knuckles what, smacked. Now if you're she throwing didn't your fancy edumacation at the big there Kahuna. You go. Hey, That's not fair. That's right. Big Kahuna doesn't throw his educationalisms at you. <laughs> you just stay pretty over there, okay? <laughs> Don't you worry about a thing. But uh, so uh, Sarah's uh, – there's a lot to her. This yeah. is not a um, housewife goes crazy. Yeah, this and is, you're a brilliant, is a, a brilliant woman is no doubt. 
two of Sarah's classmates are sisters, Susa and Rebecca Bacon, and uh, their their father, the Bacon sisters' father, is Doctor Bacon. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if there's ever a name, yeah, right? I would not mind having. Yeah, Bacon, Bacon, Bacon Doc, No, Doctor Bacon. Doctor Bacon, the king. You better be a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Doctor Bacon, who again is uh, part of this whole uh, Yale and um, uh, the whole school of thought, if you will, in that particular area at the time, his sister comes up with this whole idea that. Uh, Shakespeare was not really the guy who wrote who all wrote? the famous mm-hmm. experience plays. Jackie, you got something on that well, one? Well, no, or? it was that they... Wait, what? Yeah, they were suggesting that um, the other Bacon, Francis Bacon, who came up with the scientific method... Right, right. Helped, wrote, um, who was yeah, right, truly a... part of it, at least part of Shakespeare's works. Yeah. And he was truly a So a, then Shakespeare just guy. wrote M- Romeo and Juliet, but everything else was just another tale. I mean, there's always been speculation, I think, about Shakespeare, because yeah. he is, his vault, you know, he wrote a volume of works. So. And this, this, um, this Delilah Bacon, mm-hmm. Dr. Bacon's sister, there's no uh, family connection between Francis Bacon, but... What, Madam Turkey uh, Ham? <laughs> there you go. It's all... Uh, Lord Turducken. Turducken. Um, but uh, this is where this whole idea that uh, Francis Bacon was truly the author of all the famous Shakespearean plays. So anyhow, you know, being there, we're all classmates, and they're all friends, they all grew up together, they all went to the same church together, um, and the Pardees uh, and the and the Winchesters were they were both you know hometown uh, um, families New Haven families as I said they all went to the same church together so they there was a lot of strong interconnects here. It's like if a Kennedy married into the royal family, you know what I mean? That uh, you know, the, that would be beautiful. A lot of big swinging dicks in the room. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, you know, and and the Bacon's were. Uh, they had some bucks too, so I mean they were influential people within the town of New Haven. There's a bring home the bacon joke I could oh. make, but I just think wow. I just think we're wow low hanging fruit. Yeah, or? that is low hanging fruit, <laughs> and uh, that podcast is until later tonight. None of them listen. I wish they would. Um, <laughs> Maybe they will because I'm on. No, just like <laughs> also true. That's the draw. Be like what episode did he diss us on? So, not for nothing here to get back to uh, old Sarah because I know uh, we're, we're pleasantly scatterbrained. Hey, that's my own fault. Um, but uh, so Sarah now uh, she's moving out to California, LP. But is there anything else from her background that's going to explain some of the weird shit she does when she moves out there? Um, well, I think there's a lot of things that are going to be found out later with the uh, architecture of the house that you know people look at and say, "Oh, that's just wacky shit." But there's a lot of uh, um, Ideas or different concepts that you can point to, coming from a very strong uh, Freemason upbringing within New Haven and within her own family and and the Winchester family as well. This whole Bacon, uh, Francis Bacon, kind of a um, idea that you know he went into the whole numerology mm-hmm. of letters and that type of thing. Ah. That the, there, there's you know, and mathematics was a strong suit of. Uh, of Sarah. So, I mean, all of this stuff, you know, with her direct exposure to this whole Baconian doctrine, if you will, um, and all, all things uh, Francis Bacon, that there's, 
there's a lot, a lot of stuff that uh, I think is going to have a, a direct influence on what she designs out in California. Well, now that's cool because, uh, like we said, in 1884, she finally heads out to California. Whether or not it was influenced by her dead husband speaking to her from beyond the grave, we'll, we'll never really know. Well, because you got to print the legend. The legend's what's going to sell the papers here. 100%. But uh, she purchases an unfinished farmhouse in San Jose, California in order to build her mansion. Carpenters worked day and night round the clock to construct what would become a seven-story mansion. Uh, Sarah served as her own architect. Uh, LP, when you were working as a contractor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You, uh, there were certain times when you would go in to put a bid in for a project, and you'd get to feel the customer out a little bit. Right. How many times did you walk out of there and say, "I'm not working for this asshole"? <laughs> well, or I'm sorry that I started, but uh, right. yeah, yeah. I can remember one particular job too, where the um, the guy that was in charge of the job wasn't the homeowner. He was hired by the homeowner. So he was kind of like the overseer. And he was an artist. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And that became very difficult because we were told to, you know, put the wall up, an outside wall, put the wall up. It's going to be a blank wall, no windows on it. Oh, After the wall is up, then we literally took big sheets of cardboard and cut it out to the shape of the window that this guy thought might go there. So then we'd tack it onto the side of the house so that he could step back and better visualize what that would look like if it had a window on it. Okay, yeah, that, we like that. All right, so now reconfigure the wall that you just put up yesterday. On the next episode of American Losers, we talk <laughs> yeah, about right? this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was wacky, and, and you know, after it's it's fine because you're you're working, you know, and this was a a time of materials job, but after a while, you're like, holy crap, you know, what I'm putting in today is probably going to be torn out tomorrow because this <laughs> this. Wackadoodle is going to decide that we wanted to do something different. So, right. Well, good old Sarah, like we said, served as her own architect. A couple questions there, but if she's going to work you around the clock as a carpenter, and you're going to have shift work going on, and she says, "Oh, and by the way, the project's never going to end," I'm working that job every day. Right. right. I can't wait right. to come. And in. And she paid better, right? I think she at least paid double what the going rate was. I'd, I'd hope with the money she yeah. was worth. I mean, and, yeah. they, and she boarded she, them too. They she, could live in the, uh, on at some point on the ground. She there took very a, good care of, uh, of the, people. the people that she had working for her. Yeah, yep. there was a weird rumor that they tried to start that uh, they worked day and night forever, but she would let them off for like months at a time for the yeah. holidays or for a winter. Do they have winter in San Jose? We have listeners in San Jose. Let me right, know. Message me, guys. Um, but uh, so this, uh, this is a weird part where what I'm going to do is I'm going to present uh, the what I know to be true here. And then I know you've got some of the ghost story aspect of it. And I know uh, Jackie Burns got some info here for us, too. But uh, the house is interesting because uh, due to the earthquake uh, of 1906, the building is now only four stories tall. Uh, but thanks to what is known as a floating foundation that the house was built on, the mansion stayed largely intact. Lawrence Patrick, what is a floating foundation? A floating foundation is a building technique where – you don't have to dig down below what we call the frost line. In other words, like in this this part of the country, you have to put a foundation in or a footing in th three feet below grade. So in other words, you have to dig down three feet, pour concrete, and then build on top of that. So that in the dead of winter, when you have a frost heave, when the ground is up and down because of the moisture in, a, in, the, in the ground, that the whole building doesn't crack apart. A floating foundation, you're building into that. You're building on grade and 
accounting for the building movement. Now, in California, uh, you know, there's probably the not a move out there. In San Jose, California, there's not a real deep uh, frost level. So it's, it's, a, it's a different way of doing it. To be a, a real floating foundation, you're putting the foundation in and then you're accounting for building movement. Um, you know, she's really ahead of her time back then with uh, you're almost trying to build for with keeping in mind that you might be struck by an earthquake at any time. So the seismic conditions are, are also directly uh, related to uh, the depth of your foundation and all that type of thing. So that winds up saving the house in a lot of ways. But it's also let's not forget the fact that this lady is a little loony in terms of some of the unconventional designs in the house. Yeah, well, she had no real architectural training, so a lot of this was she was learning, learning by doing, and uh, she had the bucks to uh, you know to train herself, kind of a thing. Well, so. it's like that game Minecraft or whatever. You just you're building uh, into nothing. You know what I mean? So. You guys are like, oh, that, okay, that's uh, we're running out of space over there. Better, all right, no, no more Better staircase. Just start building over right. there. Yeah. Right. She had a clean slate. She had a clean easel to, uh, to whatever her vision was. And, and if the vision changes, hey, right, we're going to change it. And there's no boss to yell at you either, because no. she is the right. boss. Um, the house. This was one of her funny quirks. I thought that was interesting. Was the house was made mostly of redwood, by Miss Winchester's mm. choice. She decided that she liked a California redwood out there in the house. Uh, Loved the wood, liked everything about it, except hated its appearance. And, <laughs> and that had is it, such a girl thing. <laughs> mm-hmm, and yeah. had it stained in order to make it look different. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. Did that come in different colors? We love you just the way you are, <laughs> if we could change you. And like we said, uh, staircases that go nowhere, doors that open up to nothing. Uh, Kahuna has a couple pictures up right now where uh, there's a so door that cool. opens above the kitchen that you can look down into the sink. I mean, it's... I, I think what it is that in a haunted house... The Looney Tunes would love this house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it looks like, like uh, one of those where you just do the, the hallway running back and forth gag. But uh, what I think would... Uh, with a haunted house for me is uh, when you're in an old house, it's creepy to begin with because there's a history to the house. And the last thing you want to do is look over your shoulder and realize you've been watched. You know what I mean? Sure. And they have uh, enough of these friggin' windows in this house... And there's unconventional windows, too, like some of these ones that we're looking at here. It's creepy shit. Imagine you're walking down a hallway, and now there's a window, and somebody can be looking down. And, oh, and also the other fact is that, uh, you know, it's no secret, guys, all right? Uh, old KP likes to enjoy a couple of Steve Weisers every now and then, okay? Uh, now imagine coming home drunk to your own house and going up a staircase that doesn't go anywhere or opening a door that opens into the ceiling right. and falling. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is a insurance nightmare, this house. Look at this. This is the a literal door that yeah, goes that to goes nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> That's right. That first step's a big one, but <laughs> well, this is I the know part. That's even exterior too, which yeah. makes no sense. This is the part where we're going to start talking about so cool. what they thought of the ghost thing. Uh, Jay Byrne, what do you know about what uh, the the weird s- spiritual connections with the house? Do you know anything about that? Well, they said it was definitely haunted for sure. The paranormal investigators have all confirmed. Multiple different ones have all confirmed that the house is haunted. So they Poor do believe thing. in that. It's. <laughs> But uh, supposedly, what a playground for them, though. Seriously, so, uh, that's what some people uh, in the legend would try to chalk it up to: is that she was designing the house in order to appease the spirits of the people who were killed by the Winchester rifle. So uh, she wanted to be able to welcome the spirits in, probably with a door that opens up to nothing that only the spirits can come through. Okay, that might be a thing there. Didn't she for the do people seances that, too for them from like twelve to two? I think I read. That there was rumors of uh, yeah. Now uh, LP, you found an article that says that most of what we we hope is true 
because it's more interesting. It's, it's <laughs> with, all the, bullshit, with the ghosty right? aspect, yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, nightly seances was a right. thing. I mean, because we're talking. This is like I said here. We're splitting apart the rumors uh, and the myth versus uh, the actual person. Sure. So she definitely. There's a lot of hyperbole on some of the weird. She was a weird lady, but we turned the volume up to eleven. All right. Yeah. Just to make sure to you know to send this thing home, but well, uh, yeah. But don't you have the like the perfect scenario here? You have this rich widow that's got more money than God. Uh, who decides to go out to California to build this house after tragedy befalls her? Right. Yeah, after her husband dies, her father-in-law dies, and her and her only infant child dies in infancy. Uh, you know, and then goes who knows where for three years. Comes back from from Europe, and then uh, starts building this house with. You know, there are there are no doors to nowhere, also, doors to nowhere, labyrinths and uh, all you know skylights that are in the floor. Too, right, yeah. right. Okay, I just want to point out, I chuckled at a point that I realized was a really shitty point to chuckle at. You mentioned dead baby, and then I chuckled because I pulled up a picture of this door to nowhere. So right. no, I wasn't laughing at yeah. dead baby joked <laughs> for the future right. listeners. It was curious this. timing, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> right. I just right. want to point that out for the future. Well, there's uh, rumors that the house did contain spirits. There was, uh, as Jackie was saying, the uh, the nightly seances. Mm-hmm. Jackie, uh, how many bathrooms in your house? <laughs> one. Okay. Uh, I believe that uh, this is one thing I heard. I don't quite understand it. There was one working bathroom in the house. Uh, is for, that true? For Miss Win- There's multiple bathrooms, but uh, only There's... one of them was supposedly working. That is absolutely ridiculous. I'm so pissed for her. And the uh, it, supposedly it was done as decoy rooms to confuse the spirits. And there was other rumors, too, that she slept in a different one Bedroom. of her different 40 bedrooms I, I read that on too. any given night. Let me tell you, this place, for the people who, for some reason, if you don't want to look at this up, if you don't have a computer, this place is like the it's actual bananas. haunted mansion. Like, this is... Right, if you, had to build, if you had to build a movie set for a haunted mansion, this is it. And well, this Walt is the Disney newly discovered room. by it. I read in one of the articles. Really? He really? An archetype, yeah. That makes a Doesn't lot it? of sense Doesn't now, I actually. Could, I, I could kill Eddie Murphy's career in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, no, uh, the other one, because the, the, the Walt Disney thing I didn't know about, that's pretty goddamn interesting. Right? But, uh, but I now, do know that it Mythbusters. It, though, it looks ominous. Now, uh, on Mythbusters, the girl, uh, I believe Carrie is her name on Mythbusters. Did they go the red, into this? Yeah. Uh, when they went into this, they went in and they in one of the ballrooms. They uh, set up a, um, a screening for one of the scariest movies of all time. And they made them all watch it, and they tested their sweat for some sort of like uh, weird experiment or something. That's weird. But Carrie, who was the the redhead on that show, um, not to be confused with our redhead on this show, uh, <laughs> Jackie Byrne, but um, she was saying that she had gone to the house as a brownie scout when she was in the Girl Scouts, oh, cool. and that the house terrified her while she was there, and it freaked her out. And uh, she had nightmares about the house. So she was not looking forward to going back over it. Carrie? The place, yeah, the place is creepy. There's definitely a creepy. Yeah. Now, uh, also, Kahuna's going through these fucking pictures. Some shithead got married in this house. No. Where? Where was it? Go. I just saw a bride and, yeah, right there. <gasps> you shithead. What a psycho. <laughs> Perfect. So I, uh, I really, I don't know. Nah, you know what it is about yeah, but this you know place what? that bugs me, though? It's how, like, with me... I like things to kind of look a certain way, be kind of even. Like, this house is literally different from every view that you look at it. Right. Like, you would think you're looking at a different There is building. no symmetry here. Like, right? there's no. no symmetry. It's... J- 
it's there is it's just well, not pleasant. Your just plan's going to change. Right. Yeah, plans right. are going to change over right. the course of thirty something years. For sure. But, you definitely uh, have to switch to granite countertops at some point. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you you got to you got to understand too that a lot of this ghosty stuff was really came about after she died. Was drummed so up for tours. Yeah. Oh, you mean the ghost theories? Right. Yeah, well, yeah, the yeah, ghost yeah. theories and the ghost tours and everything right. else. These, these are all money making, money making. Uh, I don't want to call them schemes, but you right. know they're going to promote the whole ghosty, uh, crazy, right. crazy widow lady that uh, crazy heiress. Uh, it's thing also a, not a hard sell, though, because uh, she did have those interests in uh, – Things that could be confused for the occult. Right. Um, right. The number 13 is uh, all over the house, uh, constant references to the number 13. Uh, when Sarah dies, uh, her will is in 13 parts that she signed 13, 13 times. times. Right. Yeah, each each part of the – there's 13 separate parts to the will. And each part is signed 13 times. Yep. Uh, now, other weird shit, too, is that the number 13 is all over a piece of stained glass window that was done in a custom spiderweb-like design no, for Sarah. I wouldn't see that. So she had some other weird no. stuff, too, here. Um, the stained glass spiderweb designs, we were talking about uh, bells that would ring to announce the arrival and departure of otherworldly visitors. Uh, again, we were talking about the, uh, the nightly seances. Because she didn't have real people come over. Because back in the day, you couldn't have visitors if your house was under construction. So she no never had shit. company. Those ballrooms never got used. Wow. How messed up is that? Oh, boy. She could have had so many ragers. She had. <laughs> <laughs> party house. Right? You know, yeah, uh, party. There you go. You know, what, what <laughs> I, when you said that, a thought popped into my head like, ooh, that'd make a great party place now. And then I was like, no, do not do that to poor drunk people because you wander off into that house, you'll never be found again. <laughs> right. That's the start it's of every horror movie, too. It's a labyrinth of rooms. It's, it's a maze of rooms within this same house. There's li- nothing's going to – okay, if you think a decoy room that was designed to work on a spirit from another world and dimension, if it's going to work on that spirit, it's going to work just as well on some drunk douchebag. Seriously. <laughs> really? Right. They it's paid, literally they like paid a, good money for this ghost tour. She designed it as a ghost playground. That's, that's, yeah. I think that's literally the best way to put it. Well, it was taken over and turned into a, a fun house of sorts. But uh, this Get is all, the hell out of this here. This is all after yeah, well. she passed. Um, now, Sarah died in her sleep 38 years after living in what was being now called the Winchester Mystery House. So construction has gone on for nearly 40 years at this Insane. point. Rumors uh, started to continue to circulate that the her same death, contractor her death was time. very quiet by the way her death was very quiet it was uh it was just like a local woman you know passes away or whatever but then the rumors started as once you get a good story man something to sink your teeth into the house contained spirits she conducted the seances um the cursed fortune of the winchesters blah blah, blah. uh ghosts that still live in their house to this day uh it all started to come out more and more and become more popular than the actual truth now, the idea of the ghost story aspect started to gain traction and tours started to begin uh, – within five months of her dying, the first walking tours of the house to see Sarah Winchester's batshit crazy demon-possessed yeah. house. Were ha- now, the Amityville house from the Amityville Horror has been knocked down. They, they at least redid the uh, the windows on it or something like that. I think I'm not yeah, sure if it's still standing. It's still standing. They redid the exterior. So it doesn't have those like eye things. The eye things. See, that would be the first move I'd make right. here. But now uh, Winchester, uh, I, it somehow or other the house is still under their control. But uh, they have certainly started to embrace the idea of Sarah's ghostly past, if you will. Yeah, because it's making money. Of I course. mean, it's making to, to, money. to spin to the other side of here, um, 
I found it pretty interesting, too, that, you know, when she came back from Europe and, and took up residence in San Jose and starts to build this house, a lot of people, why Jose, well, why did she pick that particular part of she the country? She was a diehard Sharks fan. Well, there also, there's Pardee relatives living in the area. There's a Enoch Pardee who was a highly respected physician and politician who was living in Oakland, California. So she's got family. She's got family out there. And uh, later, his son, George Pardee, uh, follows in his father's uh, footsteps and rises to the officer of governor of California. Mm. So, I mean, there's there's some pretty well-respected Pardees in California. And, then, you know, she's moved to, moved to herself to, to be with family. Um, and then it's interesting. I, I thought this was pretty flippy. Um, this particular author of this article says it's interesting that Wikipedia makes particular note of Enoch Pardee having been a prominent oculist. Occultist. That, <laughs> I it, did it again. I, I really thought you were messed with He read that to me last week. He goes, an oculist. And I was like, an eye doctor? No. Yeah, that's cool. Right? Occultist. I'm occultist. sorry. Yeah. I, I thought you were messing hilarious. with me. I didn't know what you, I was like, oculus? What do you mean? That's hilarious. No, occultist. My bad. Oh, wow. Um, My education. Most likely. No. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got to be, re- be able to read them words. Uh, most likely the occult reference has to do with the fact that both uh, Enoch and his son George were members of the highly secretive and mysterious California-based Bohemian Club, mm. which was an offshoot of Yale's, back to, back to uh, Connecticut, Yale's uh, Skull and Bones Society. And there's some big time heavy hitters who were members of the Yale. Do you know uh, Skull anything and Bones. about Skull and Bones, Jackie Byrne? I don't. Uh, even, I've never heard of him. I've never heard of him. In I'm 2004, Italian, in 2004, two members of the secret society known as Skull and Bones at uh, Yale uh, ran against each other for president of the United States. In uh, John Kerry, uh, oh, who sec- Secretary of State John Kerry, and uh, President George W. Bush were both members of uh, said organization. George Herbert Walker Bush was a member of this organization. Papa Bush. Who yeah, recently passed R.I.P. away. Uh, in addition, uh, who else was it? Uh, uh, William F. Buckley uh, was a member of the uh, the club, the uh, uh, kind of one of the, the central figures in uh, intelligence and conservative thought. Uh, and additionally, all these powerhouse players, uh, I mean heads of companies, heads of uh, CEOs of major corporations, and Paul Giamatti. Wait, but what the heck Wait, is what? it? Yeah, this makes no sense. It's a secret society. Yeah, that, uh, nobody really knows because when asked, uh, do you know anything about it? Yeah, it's a secret. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. In George W. Absolutely. Bush's own uh, biography, he mentions, uh, in Yale, I joined a club called Skull and Bones. That's all I'm allowed to say about it. And they pretty much, if you want to go into the idea of the New World Order and the Illuminati and all that other shit, it all stems from right that. in there. You had the creation of the CIA, all sorts of cool shit. But um, Whoa. I just think it's so hilarious, though, that all these people who are central figures in running the country, possibly running the world, and also Paul Giamatti. Right. <laughs> He was also in it. Yep, Paul Giamatti yeah, was a member of that member. club. So all this spooky to shit. No, he, well, you have to in order to go into that club. Oh, I didn't know he yeah. went. To good for him. But uh, <laughs> back also, to also, Kevin, interesting is the fact that uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, who was also a member of that same Bohemian club, was, oh boy, right? No way. Well, Tr was a, a Yale uh, a Yale grad, so he was he was a member of that club. And what um, do we know about Tr, Dad? Well, he came to California in 1903 and oh, uh, asked Governor Pardee, 
all right, um, one of Sarah's relatives, to run as his vice presidential candidate in the 1904 national election. The offer was turned down by uh, Governor Pardee, but during that same trip, Roosevelt attempted to visit Sarah Pardee, Winchester, and again, Roosevelt's offer was turned down. So, I mean, you're you're uh, bringing into the thing, Jackie, that uh, you know she didn't really accept any visitors or have any parties and mm-hmm. stuff. But you got to understand if the, if if Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt, Roosevelt knocks on your door, right? If, you got to let him in. Well, you would think, but you got to also understand that if TR is running for president, he's certainly going to pay a visit to the richest woman. And certainly course. in America, He's if not, not the world. So I mean, who's also supposed to be pretty hot? Who, yeah, who else? <laughs> you want to know how hot so she was? So he went too? to that batshit crazy mansion. He always have to. He he he, he, he tried to. to go there. He tried to go there, but all all I was able to find is that his offer to uh, to visit was was turned down. So I, you know whether he literally knocked on the That's door. Or he was he was probably he happy about it. He was right, like, right. He probably heard about this man. You can tell Teddy Roosevelt. Found Scratch. It. He's probably like, yeah. Uh, he probably saw a picture of this mansion and was like, no, I'm glad. Well, if you want to uh, know how attractive she was, too, by the way, uh, this would give you an indicator for how attractive a woman she probably was. Um, in uh, the recent movie titled Winchester. Which, which I didn't see. Did you see it? Which is, I did not see it. I plan, watched I plan it. on watching it. Well, I didn't want to watch that and bring the falsehoods of uh, that narrative into the, into the show. So now that I know the real thing, now I can enjoy the entertainment side of it. But starring uh, Helen Mirren, who might be, uh, I mean, I can't think of a woman who's uh, more attractive in her 70s than Helen Mirren. But old school Helen She's Mirren, too. Show. Total smoke show, babe. She plays uh, Sarah Winchester. And that's only continued to fuel the myths about the house and the woman who, like I said, when she died, within five months, her house was turned into a tourist trap where they started bringing people through for tours. You can now actually go on this one. Um, And uh, Kahuna, I want you to keep it under control here, all right, bud? You're going to freak when you hear this one. They now do nighttime tours of the Winchester Mystery House. And you are only allowed to lead yourself through with a candelabra with candlelight on it. No, is that true? Yep. I read about the midnight tours, but I didn't know that that's how you do it. Yep. So they absolutely uh, not. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not. It's not the. Oh it's not me that had to God. calm down there. All right. No, <laughs> sorry. Burn was all over no it. No way. Thank Not you for taking people. over for that I'm one. Here for you. <laughs> well, like we said, many parts Holy of the uh, Winchester shit. house are more uh, fiction than fact, but several paranormal teams have con- – so they, they blew the legend out of proportion because it sells, right? It's a, it's a tourist tra- uh, attraction uh, bringing people in for the nighttime tours. The website, the tours, the virtual tours you can go on on YouTube of the house. It's cool shit. I want to see this house someday, okay? Well, I think we have to go. Yeah, I think a, we have to it's go. It's a lot of field trips. Road trip. Ever get a budget right. behind this? Road thing? trip. Yeah, exactly. Seriously, though. <laughs> but uh, that being said, when the paranormal teams do investigate it, there are weird things that are unexplainable that can go on there. There are uh, some uh, – the ghosts of one of the workers in one of the basements that they can continually hear. That mm, with the wheelbarrow, right? Yes, the wheelbarrow yep. guy who's seen regularly. Um, there's other weird stuff, too, that's going on. Uh, ring of bells, sounds that can't be explained. And then, again, when you have the number 13 and all these weird eccentricities so weird. of uh, Sarah you know, Winchester, you really can't – you can say that it got blown out of proportion, but it's not like this was an ordinary lady who uh, you know, all yeah. of a sudden we started spinning wild right. tales about. Right. So now that being said, anybody else got anything before we uh, wrap it up on this one or – the Munsters would love this house. <laughs> it was just with the house, with the architecture and everything else and all the the weird numbers, you know, 47 chimneys and all this kind of stuff, or 47 fireplaces. 
uh, Sarah was also into this whole encryption codes with that whole Winchester uh, Francis Bacon connection from yes. her from her upbringing back in New Haven. That uh, there's all kinds of uh, tie-ins where she would take her name and encrypt it to a numerical value, her husband's, her dead husband's name, her dead daughter's name, and there's a a repetition there that's happening over and over and over again, and that is infused into the whole design and architecture of of this house in many, many different aspects. And the whole uh, Freemasonic imagery, I mean, these staircases that lead to nowhere. Oh, this is a paint-by-numbers for creeping people out right it's uh, all there that that whole thing well that's part of the imagery uh or symbolism within within uh (laughs) yeah yeah queen goth uh (laughs) but the staircase that leads to nowhere has uh, freemason uh symbolism uh and there's influences that perhaps she took from her three-year trip to Europe that she infused into that house with uh, doors that go nowhere and and, and staircases that lead to nowhere. Uh, You know, some people attribute um, some of these labyrinths as uh, kind of almost an M.C. Escher, the the artist that was great with Ah. illusions kind of a thing, too, that, uh, you know, whether whether she was trying to put into 3D – what M.C. Escher did on on, on canvas, but you know, who the heck knows? I don't know. It's just uh, the whole um, numerical ciphers and stuff, though, really starts to spin this thing off into a whole different area, too. Is it far beyond my math, uh, my, my math capability? Well, if anybody who – we do have listeners in San Jose, so if anybody knows a little more detail on that that's listening to this out in that area, go ahead and uh, reach out to me. It's at uh, sucks on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, KP Burke over on Facebook. Um, Jay Byrne, this episode's going to come out this coming Tuesday. Okay, so if this you want to plug anything, if you want to look at your calendar real quick for that. But um, if, if you like the show, do me a favor and uh, like, subscribe, share, confront your racist uncle, tell him to start listening. Um, I want to thank uh, Mike and Ming for letting us come back here to a shared studio, uh, shared universe studio. We did two today, man. All right, so it's uh, got a little bit crazy, but we wanted to make sure we had these ready to roll for the holidays so everybody's schedule doesn't get all screwed up. Kahuna, thanks for being behind the ones and twos, buddy. I appreciate Always, you. Man. Dad, I, uh, I love you. Thanks for uh, getting yep. me into history. Tuesday is Lose Day, so keep, <laughs> keep on listening for Tuesday Lose Day uh, releases. And uh, if uh, when this episode comes out, it will be on Tuesday the 18th, all right? So uh, do me a favor. If you guys listen to this after Christmas, I hope you had a good one here or whatever. But uh, uh, on the 20th, the 21st, and the 22nd of December leading up to my Christmas. Uh, very excited here. I'm going to be opening up for uh, one of the best comics working today. Uh, Big Jay Okerson down at Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club in Point Pleasant. Do me a favor. Come on by. Uh, that shit's going to be – you can say that you're there to support me. That's going to be really good. But, I'm going to speak for him. Yeah, and just see uh, you know, one of the masters uh, of, of comedy working up there. And uh, he's really uh, – he's phenomenal. I'm very excited about this. I'm 90% convinced I'm going to get kick off, uh, kicked off the show the day of, but we'll find out. Uh, no. That, Never. that being said, Jay Byrne, where can they find you? Can I be honest with you? December gets late for me towards the end, so I would just say go to JackieBurn.com. That's where I'll be updating. And I'm at Jackie Byrne on Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. Okay. And uh, seriously, check her. Uh, check out a live show at Jackie. She's one of my favorite comics. Very funny person here. Lawrence Patrick, where can they find you? You're working on uh, – you're going to be at Home Depot I'm sometime hiding. soon? That's <laughs> 
I'm hiding. He's going to be at Uncle Vinny's next week. That's Keeping what he's trying to say. I sure hope. a little profile. I sure hope. But uh, this one was interesting here. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. That was uh, Sarah Winchester, American Loser. Thank you, guys. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.